You know, we really have to stop trying to make Jesus cool. <laughs> we just don't have to try. We don't have to try and make him relevant. And I really feel this morning that he longs to realign our hearts. And we've heard so brilliantly from Taryn and from Jesse about the Beatitudes and how they talk about a posture of heart. And I feel like what the Holy Spirit's doing with us is He's realigning our hearts. And if there's a fresh longing that He wants to brew in our hearts this morning. I don't know if you guys could sense it, but in our, in our, even in, in that brief time of worship, just a sense of Him drawing us back to who He is. And that nothing will satisfy until we fully find our satisfaction in Him. You know, we've replaced the altar of His presence with a pulpit and a stage. And sometimes we just need to step off and let Him have His glory back. And it's going to be a season of His presence just increasing our meetings. Not because we're trying to create something, not because we're some cool charismatic church that's like on the cutting edge of what God's doing, but because the Spirit longs for a people who are one thing. Matthew 5, verse 8 to 12. It's the last four verses of the Beatitudes. So, I'll read through it and then let's see how far we get. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, utter all kinds of evil against you, falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I mean, it's a... We could, take, we could take a month to do something. <laughs> That's yeah. cool. And I was really just stuck, struck by that verse, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And I really feel like this is the place of purity that the Lord wants to bring us back to, as individuals, but also as a people. And uh, it's so interesting. When Jesus went up on the mountain, he's preaching his first sermon his first recorded word of a sermon in the book of Matthew was blessed. blessed. You know the last word of the last book of the Old Testament was cursed. And isn't it interesting that Jesus starts ministry or he's saying what he's releasing in the New Covenant. He starts with blessing. And um, I, I found it so interesting. I was thinking about when God created Adam and Eve in Genesis 1, it says, God says, let us make man in, and, and in, in our image, and, and he created them. And then the first thing he did, it says, he blessed them. And here Jesus is coming with this sermon where he's basically starting his ministry. He stops with the word bless. And as we heard last week and the week before, that word is makaris, which means almost like, Congratulations, like you are celebrated. 
And Jesus is calling forth the people that heaven celebrates. And he says, heaven celebrates. Heaven says, you are blessed when you are a person with a pure heart. And it's so interesting because in that culture, everything in first century Judaism was about purity. It was about ritual purity. How can I, how can I make myself pure and stay clean? And stay away from the unclean. This is a quote from one source. It says, Ideas concerning the clean and the unclean were constantly in the minds of the Jewish people of the first century. So if you were a Jew, you could have been a Sadducee, and their whole thing was like, these, these were these elect priests and they were ministered in the temple and their purity was their identity. And then you had the uh, Pharisees and the Essenes and they, were, they said no, the purity is for all Jewish people. But they concerned themselves with ritual purity. And so you were regarded as the highest in the religious order if you observed all the laws and you lived pure life. And everything on the outward was pure and you ticked all the boxes. And Jesus comes in and he cuts right through this and he says, No, blessed are the pure in hearts. Because purity is never a matter of outward ritual, but it's a matter of the posture of your heart. In fact, the Greek word here, katharos. Any Greeks here? Ah, yeah, Katharos. I don't think the Greeks in that they spoke with that accent. Because <laughs> they spoke Greek. Um, and it means without mixture. Or what is separated, what has been made clean. Something that is unstained. One commentator says it carries the idea of a single, undivided heart. Utterly sincere, not divided in devotion or commitment to God. Doesn't that echo the words of David in Psalm 86, verse 11? Teach me your way, O Lord. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. And I feel like what the Spirit wants to do in His invitation to us this morning is saying, I'm, I'm bringing you back as a people to live with a singleness of purpose and an undivided heart. Single-mindedness, it means to have a heart that pursues one thing and one thing only. And I don't know about you guys, but life can seem to just flipping pull our hearts and our lives and our demands and our attentions in so many different directions. And often the enemy's greatest weapon is just distraction, where he just drops these, we- these bombs, these weapons of mass distraction, and he pulls you in this direction, and he pulls you in that direction. And the, and the Lord just says, I'm looking for people with a singleness of heart and singleness of focus. Psalm 27 verse 4. Again, David says, one thing. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Like we were doing this morning. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And isn't it so interesting that David says, one thing. There's one thing I'm giving my life to. Is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. 
I really feel like there's a place of a gaze where we fix our eyes not on earthly things which are temporal, but we fix our eyes on, on the unseen things, the heavenly things, for they are eternal, as Paul writes. And that the Lord is not just looking for individuals, but He's looking for a one thing people. You know, we, that thing about gaze, David says, one thing I ask that I dwell in your house to gaze upon your beauty. And you know, we see in the scriptures that the thing that you gaze upon is the thing that you become. What you behold is what you become. You become what you behold. What you look at is going to shape what you look like. And he's calling us to be a people who would, again, just fix our gaze on him and say, Lord, give us an undivided heart. Give us a singleness of focus. Give us hearts. Because there's a blessing when we are a one thing people. 1 John 3 says, We know that when He appears, we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. One day, He's going to appear, and we're going to see, with unveiled faces, we're going to see the glory of the Lord. We're going to see Him as He is, and in a moment, we'll be like Him. But as we wait until that day, we continue to look at Him, and He changes us, and He transforms us. And he doesn't transform us from the outside in, like the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Jewish rituals, but he transforms us from the inside out. That's why Jesus said, this is our pure in heart. I hope this is helping you. He is purity. When we gaze upon him, the light of his face, the, the, the Psalms talk about the light of his face, the, the countenance of his glory. And um, <laughs> we've, been, we've been getting a, a unit ready in a warehouse for a tenant in one of our industrial properties for work this week. And this is say it's been a week. Um, but uh, one of the things we said, we said we'd do is we, this is an old factory, it was probably built in the 50s, maybe earlier. And, and um, I learned this recently, like, when you've got concrete floors, like, they just get harder over time. So if you've got a, if you've got a factory with 50-year-old concrete floors, those things are like, those things are like harder than rock, and they're just going to continue to get harder. Anyway, we, we, we said that there were like a whole lot of like bumps and things on the floor. We said, cool, we'll, we'll like level the floor for you. So the guys take these, they call them diamond grinders. And they just, and it looks like those things where, you know when people clean the, the floor in the airport? And they're like, oh. Now this has got like a disc with a like diamond blade that's literally like grinding down this 50 year old concrete and paint. And it's like three weeks of guys just grinding, grinding, grinding. And still it's like, are we ever going to get this floor level? The guys are moving it on Wednesday. Crisis upon crisis. But um, I just felt this morning like sometimes for us we feel like our journey to purity is like those floors, like our heart. It's layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. And God just needs to come and take this grinder and grind and grind and grind and grind and grind and grind. And will we ever be pure? And I felt the Holy Spirit say, No. <laughs> Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36 students. Ezekiel 36 26. This is what Ezekiel prophesied. 
I will give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And that is the beauty of the good news of Jesus, that he doesn't just come take a heart of stone and like chisel us away and grind us down until we these people who are like subservient and submissive and obedient. But he actually says, no, I take your heart of stone and I give you a heart of flesh. I give you a new heart. The old has gone, the new has come. You're a new creation. And you know, what was so interesting about the life and the ministry of Jesus, talking about purity culture, the purity culture of the, of the, of the Jews was like, if you touch something unclean, you become unclean. What did Jesus do? Every person that he touched that was unclean became clean. When he walks into the room, his kingdom comes, and he purifies what is not pure. So if you saying, Lord, I need purity in my heart, it's like, okay, Lord, I need your touch. You, I know that you renew my heart. You purify me from the inside out. And I felt like the Spirit said, for some of us this morning, he wants to restore innocence again. Some of us, we've lost that sense of innocence because of the culture we live in, maybe because of relationships we've had or things we've exposed our to, ourselves to, decisions we've made. But you know what? The Bible says that he, we can approach Him with a full assurance of faith. Hebrews 10, 22. Having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. You know, He can clean our conscience. He can purify our minds and our hearts. And even those of us who are, have been believers for many years, sometimes it's just a fresh innocence that we need from the Lord. Say, Lord, just remind me of your purity again. I love what Timothy said to the young people. He said, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in life, in faith, in speech, in conduct, and in purity. And I want to say that as younger people, as older people, there's sometimes a lot of, we just, like, it's the battle of purity, and like, the young people will always lose that battle. But I feel like God says, no, Purity is an inheritance for my, my children, no matter what your age, no matter what culture that you live in. I've called you to be a pure people to reflect my beauty. I know I'm, I'm lingering on this one a lot, but I already just felt the spirit on that thing. I'm restoring purity to your hearts. And you know, there's a purity that comes from our ministry to Him. And for some of us, we've been so bogged down by ministering to others. And you just feel that like, oh, not another, not another coffee, not someone's more issues. Lord, I'm weary, I'm battered, I'm bruised, the sheep are biting me. I learned that term from Terrence, it's called a sheep bite. And you put yourself out there to help someone and like pastorate and it's like, Use it, use it as an opportunity to like unleash all their like unmet needs. <laughs> Don't worry, remember it. Um, <laughs> but for some of us, we, we need to just be, go back to that place of ministering to Him because our ministry to others flows from our ministry, our ministry to Him and from His goodness to us. Jeremiah 2, 2 verse 13. 
Jeremiah says to the people of Israel, you've committed two evils. You've forsaken the fountain of life. You've forsaken me, the fountain of life. And for some of us, in our busyness, in our life, for whatever reason, it's like, there's a sense of like we've forsaken that place of the fountain of life where we draw from the wellspring of who God is. And it says you've hewed out systems for yourself, systems that can't hold water. Which basically means you've tried to create these, these bowls and these places that hold water when I've not called you to hold water for yourself, but I've called you to draw, draw water from the source that is never ending. And I'm a fountain of life. Keep coming back to me. Keep finding life. There's a purity in the, in, in the life. That's why it says in Proverbs 4.23, Above all else, guard your heart, for from it flow the wellsprings of life. Guard your heart. That's why Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart. Because there's a place of an undivided heart, where from it flow, flow the wellsprings of life. And for some of us, it's like, I had this picture I don't know if you've, Judy might be able to identify him being in Paris recently, but if you've ever been to a city like Paris or maybe Amsterdam as well, um, you get these canals that run through the city and they have these sets of weirs, like basically like steel, steel um, uh, doors or gates that they use to level, to create levels on the canals when the boats go through. And I was just thinking about this concept of the wellspring of life. And some of us have hardened our hearts, where it's like we put a we put a barrier down and said, God, I, I will not allow you into this area for fear of disappointment or because I've been hurt, and I'm going to put a wall up and protect myself. And then I just saw the Lord like laughing, and He just lifted that wall, and it, and, and the wall became a weir, and it's just like as the wall lifted, the water began to flow. And for some of us, I feel like the Lord is just softening hardened hard hearts this morning. You know, He's the prodigal father. The word prodigal means extravagant, extreme. He runs up to the unclean, impure son and He embraces him and He throws Himself upon him. He kisses his neck and the unclean son becomes pure again. But there's another son who's hardened his heart, who will not join in the party because he's made agreements in his heart. says, no, I've been here and you haven't seen me, so I'm actually going to withdraw myself from you. And for some of us, the Lord says, I'm just drawing you back. I'm just drawing you back. I was um, really trying to get this message together this weekend. A crazy week of demands and things happening. And this morning, at some point in the night after Jude woke up at like three or four, whenever it was, which was about eleven month old, and I was just um, went to the bathroom, and I just felt the Lord say, "We actually have to release some unforgiveness in your heart towards people in your life." And it was like a quick moment, but I just feel such, felt such a release of tension and things that are recurring being actually like, I can't hold those things against those people. And I, I really feel like some of us, it's, it's not a big thing, it's not like someone that you've been holding unforgiveness towards for like 15 years because of something they did. It might just be people in your life right now, you're like, oh my word, if that person wants that thing again. <laughs> <laughs> so 
to extend the kingdom of peace. We come into places of strife, of tension, of division. And we say, no, we're not a divided people, we're people of one heart. And of the increase of his government and peace, as Isaiah says in chapter 9, there will be no end. Of the increase of his peace, there will be no end. So as the kingdom of God extends, the peace of God extends. And we become peace extenders. You know, Jesus said, peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. There's a place where we can find peace in God. Where it actually arrests the disruption in our hearts. And I feel like it's so important that we get this because we're living in a time and a culture where there's so much disruption of our hearts going on. And so on one hand we're people of pure hearts, undivided hearts. On the other hand we're people who get arrested by the peace of God that passes all understanding. And it brings a stillness to our hearts. Because until we have shalom in our own hearts, we cannot extend shalom to other people. So he says, I'm the Prince of Peace. And I come today as the Spirit of Peace and I give you the gift of peace in your own life. Not just so that you can sit in this room and kumbaya and this is a beautiful thing on a Sunday. But no, I've created you as one who sees my face to be one who brings peace and goes and extends peace. Because if the Beatitudes are just about us and God and us in our room soaking all, all day, all night and shabba shabba, but there's nothing of us bringing the kingdom and seeing the world change, then help us Jesus. We're called to be a people who do not react, but we respond from a place of peace. I've been made at peace with God, now how can I extend that peace to you? Paul says, he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, God is in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, putting everything right, putting us right. And he's saying, it's time to be a people who put things right. And for some of us, we need to stop trying to live for a cause and start to live for a call. The call of the peace of heaven to reign in your family, in your marriage, in your relationships. And as I'm saying, some of you guys are just nervous in areas where you're missing the peace of the Spirit. It's a verse I think it says, I think it's the message says, May the peace of God be like an umpire in your heart. And some of us just need to come back to that place of stillness where can you sense the presence of God, the personal life, how say, Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Bless all the peacemakers for they will be called sons and daughters of God. We get identified with the nature of who our Father is because we bring the peace that He came to bring. And so Lord, I pray, Father, that we would be a people of one heart. Oh! Holy Spirit, you just say, come. Rest upon us. We're not in a rush. 
We still our hearts, we still our minds, we still our spirits. Even as you sit there, just the presence of God is just getting weightier in this room. Some of you are beginning to physically sense the presence of God like you haven't sensed in the morning. And I feel like there's a deep, deep, deep tenderness of the love and the presence of the Father walking around us today. Where He is literally coming. And to see the Holy Spirit, He's beginning to wash away things that we have tried to attach themselves to our hearts. So He said, Come, Holy Spirit. 